You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus. This is another episode of The Final Curtain Call. My guest this week is, I would say, a friend of mine. We've known each other for the best part of 25 to 30 years, I reckon. He's known by many of his peers as Riga Steve. Um, and he's without a doubt one of the best sound technicians uh, I've ever met in my life and ever worked with, ever had the pleasure of working with. So stay tuned because you're going to learn an awful lot about uh, grassroots music. What Steve doesn't know about grassroots music and music in general isn't worth knowing. So if you stick around, I'm going to ask him about some of the bands that came before me and some of the legends that he's worked with. I'm going to ask him about his sound techniques and, and how he learned to do it. Um, let's get straight to it. I'm here with Riga Steve, Steve Catamol. Steve, how are you, mate? You all right? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah. It's really nice to see you. And you look, as I said, as I said, as you got out of the van, you're looking really well. Thank you. (laughs) Are you feeling well? You've been all right the last... Not too bad. I'm not your doctor or anything. No, no, no. Not been, not been too bad. (laughs) That's good, mate. So, um, I want to get straight to it. One of, one of the things I never asked you, although we, we, I mean, we spent so much time sort of over teas and having a beer and whatever, because we used to sound check about six o'clock and go on about nine. And mm. I never asked you if you actually played yourself. No, no. You don't play I, yourself. I can't play a note, I'm afraid. I'm not, uh, I can probably whack a drum, that's about <laughs> it. That's my, that's my limit. I've, I've just uh, But done, you, you yeah. sing, you, but you're such a knowledgeable guy about sort of music in general. Just, I never asked you that if you never played anything. Just, but you, you're obsessed with music. I mean, music yeah, is just. Yeah, uh, music's been a thing since I was probably about 10 or 12 years old. My dad bought me a little record player, uh, you know, and I, st- I went to a youth club and they bought a little disco console in the youth club and that's where that snowed, snowballed from there. I started going to Chivago's when I was old enough and then a mate of mine took me out to see my first live band when I went over to the Travellers to see live bands over there and it just snowballed from there and I just really got the bug. So Went out really, roadieing and helping out with the band, just wanting to learn what happens, how it happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's a well-oiled machine when you when you see a band that know what they're doing. Mm. Everything oh, yes, comes yeah. in. The, the van is packed in a particular order. It's unloaded in a particular order. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. And for somebody like you know the young Steve looking in and thinking, how does this all work? Yeah. It's a different world, isn't it? Oh but yeah. That yeah. Obviously, struck something with you, and you're like, this is something I want to get into. How do you then, from having that obvious kind of uh, awakening, where did it go from there? How do you start to get involved? Well, I just that? got to know the guys in the band at, at, at the uh, at the Travellers, got to work with a few of them, offered my services. I said, you know, I'm not looking for any money. I just, you know, I'd just jump on the bus and make my way over to the gig and I'd help them load the gear, unload the gear, set it up, you know. I mean, you, and you've seen the kind of technology evolve over the last mm. sort of 25, 30 years. What would it have been back then? Just sort of two on stands, vocals through the... Just through the mainly vocals, vocals and piano through the through the PA, really. Amps doing the work. And back, and... back line, doing the back line in most of the pubs. You know, they didn't put it through uh, PA as such then. It was all very, you know, early analogue, but the good quality stuff, but, you know... The, in some instances, depending on the volume of the, of the individuals on stage, that the, the yeah. PA would get strangled. <laughs> you know, <it laughs> is was... that where the two microphones kind of taped together came in? Would you? <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was it was interesting. You know, I just I just got really got the got the bug for it. You know, yeah. And, uh, I was out of work for a little while, and I sort of started going with them and uh, with, with helping out with bands, and uh, then I got the play. I was DJing and doing bits and bobs. 
And it so. was it was just just really you know music me it just it's just a, a thing that I really really yeah you know, really it's, enjoy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty much you, isn't it? Music is you know, um, for myself as well, and I'm sure you've met countless people over the years where without music, don't know what they do. You know, you sort of think it's not it's not that you're useless doing anything else. It's just it's so it becomes so important to mm. you from playing probably I'm trying to think what the record players would have been then um, the box brownie was a was a camera so I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah. well you had the um, what was it the um, uh, the Garrard S, not, were there an SB25 <laughs> the Garrard on, the Garrard ones were very much the sort of forerunners of the uh, what we now called the uh, called the 1210s okay the Technics 1210 because you could actually unplug the micro the uh the needle head, right? Like you can with the twelve tens. Okay. And uh, they were the, they were the Garrard uh, the Garrard ones that you could do, and you could uh, unplug the head. They had a four pin plug that plugged into the end of the arm. Oh, okay. And what uh, sort of stuff were you playing and listening to at that time? Oh, and then that, in the early days, it was it was very uh, I was very sort of jazz funk soul that sort of thing. Um, the DJ inside of it, you know, when I was doing Shiva, done Chivagos for a couple of years with uh, the late Dwight Wizard and. Uh, we um, used to, there was very much, it's funny because you were saying, I went to, through a load of stuff the other week and uh, was hunting for some stuff that I used to play when I was down at Chivago, uh, some of the stuff that was more sort of uh, turntable hits rather than um, massive hits, you know, okay. stuff we used to play in the clubs. And uh, there, was, uh, was, there was there was one by an American guy, Frankie Smith, called Double Dutch Bus. And when I played it back to me, I thought, did we really play that? Did we really <laughs> want to dance to that? You know, like, oh my god! But, uh, but you were keeping uh, busy. You're doing your DJ. Were you out every weekend or? Out? Oh yeah, I was out and about most weekends. Yeah, doing all sorts. Yeah, yeah. I was very rarely indoors. I'd just come home, drop me washing, and uh, mum would cook me something to eat, and I'm off out again. You know. <laughs> so it evolves. You start uh, start working with the band. Doing. Uh, did you do the sound with them at, at that time, or were not, you just bringing stuff in? And no, not initially at that time. I was mainly just just. Uh, you know, the packer of the leads and uh, I'd repair, being an electrician by trade, I've I'd, I, um, done, uh, I used to repair leads and, you know, sort out any dodgy bits that they had, you know, that needed doing and that sort of thing, you know, and, uh, and I sort of slowly got me, started to get my head around the, the mixing side of things, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, so I met up with Steve and Jackie Shepherd and uh, got to know them, uh, that was through me mate Roger, and, uh, Learned quite a bit from Steve, helping him, going out roadieing for him, and uh, you know with the with the yeah, PA Steve, yeah. and uh, what yeah. have you. Was you know. he deaf, Shepherd? That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yeah, he's actually completely deaf in one ear. But, um, I was going to ask yeah. you about that, Steve. Actually, just to, just to come off that subject, I remember where we were. Your ears, because I mean, for, for the likes of myself, probably out two or three nights a week, maybe a mm. couple of times a week, the odd weekend off. But for somebody like you with a schedule that you've run for the last, I don't know, thirty or forty years mm. now. The amount of music that you've listened to, how are your ears? Uh, you know, um, because last you're... time I had a hearing test, they, they, there is a top register deficiency, but okay. not anywhere near as bad as I thought it might be. <laughs> yeah, because you do. You always feel like, <coughs> I always said, you, you know you're going deaf when the band are sound checking and the drummer hits a snare and everybody in the pub jumps and you don't. Mm. <laughs> you can't, you well, can't just turn around and, all right, you're here then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, but no, the... Um, I do uh, know I've got a say a slight hearing deficiency in the in the in the top register, but um, generally uh, my hearing's 
okay. It's funny yeah. how it's frequencies. People don't always understand that. No, that's right. You, that's you right. lose frequencies yeah. in yeah. your ears, don't you? It's, yeah. it's not like you, this overall kind of blanket of sound that you start losing. It's not like you, people sound further away. It's like I have friends of mine who can't hear a phone ringing or certain. I mean, I can never hear the missus telling me to take the bins out. That's, <laughs> that, yeah, okay. that's my frequency. Yeah. Well, on a Friday morning, you need to take the bins out. And I go, yep. no, that's the wrong frequency. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that because the, the amount of music you listen to. So when was the first time you can remember actually being in control of the sound? Oh, yeah. Um, probably uh, early to mid-90s, I would have thought. When we start, when I started getting involved with the Riga, I went down the trap. I went down the Riga, just well, the the cricketers as it was then. Yeah. We hadn't sort of formally named it as such as then. Um, and uh, I went down to see Mickey Jupp. Right. He was playing down there, and uh, I got chatting to little Steve, who I'd met a few years before. Um, just generally, I knew him. We knew one another, mm. and uh, it sort of snowballed from there. Really, I got to meet Doug Parnis and uh, the others, and. I just started turning up on the Tuesday night when they used to do an open mic thing. Mm. And uh, it just, again, it just snowballed from there. And I, I got involved, I got the, got the passion for it. And eventually when we uh, wanted to increase it and build it up into a bit more of a name, I, I took the bank loan out to get the first little PA, first decent PA that we had and, and the mixing desk. And uh, one or two people weren't exactly happy about that. Oh, we shouldn't be doing that. We thought, well, if we're going to do it, we need to do it properly. Yeah, you've got to speculate to accumulate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, uh, but it didn't take us long to, to pay that money back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we sort of built it, slowly built it up with good quality second hand and what have you from there, you know. Well, you're a great uh, technician when it comes to knowing about the best stuff to get. And mm. So, obviously, back then, can you remember what, what you what you kind of got or what, well, what, you, first, what you invested the in? Well, first desk we had was only a little two channel uh it was a two twin aux two auxiliaries on it 12 channel um i can't think what make it was now it wasn't anything flash by any means uh the first proper desk we picked up was a uh, was the uh a gl 2000 um allen and heath which yep. had four auxiliaries six auxiliaries on it um yeah so we could do a proper four-way monitor mix 24 channel was 22 and two stereos okay it had um proper effects returns and everything, you know, and but that's all we had. We never had no graphics, no effects processors, no nothing, no. you know, and uh, we just had to build it up. Again, we good just picking up quality secondhand, you know, off the, uh, just looking in magazines at that time, you know, mm. we, we found, we actually found that Allen and Heath in uh, one of the newspapers. Um, there was a newspaper that used to deal with a lot Sound, sound, sound on sound. Sound on sound. Sound on sound. Yeah. Magazine, and we picked, we found that in there. We had to go up to, uh, up to Walthamstow, and uh, met the guy um, who had the desk up for sale, and uh, it, it, we were really, really lucky, you know, to to get what we got. And, and me and we saw it there. We said to the bloke, we phoned the bloke and said, look, we're interested. We'd like to come and see it. Well, he said, I've got somebody coming down, so you're gonna have to be quick. So I said, we're on our way. And you imagine how hard it is to raise 350 quid. In sort of... Just like that. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I just, I couldn't raise enough cash. And we thought, and the banks are shut. And we thought, what the hell? In the end, we had to go and tap Fred in the pub and, and say, look, you'll have the money back tomorrow lunchtime. You know, <laughs> it was... And he Wheeling gave us and dealing. Money. You're yeah. willing and dealing in those. Yeah. 
and you're learning to... hands-on as well, Steve. Oh not, yeah, it was very hands-on. Because these days, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not knocking the next generation coming through, but I feel like I'm the last gunfighter in the the old west. <laughs> in as much as um, I've been asked to do a few shows, and and my daughter is 14, and she'll say, "I've learned this song. I printed the words off, and I printed the chords off." Whereas I'm the last of that generation that listened to it put the needle on the record, scribbled down what you could, Yeah. put put it on again, written, mm. wrote down what you could and worked it out. And when people talk to me, and, and not just me, but people of my generation, how do you do it? How do you listen to something and work it out? It's just, that's what I do. That's how you do it. That's and right, music yeah. isn't learned in a classroom, is what I've always said. These people go go to, to learn how to do sound and they come out of university. I'm not knocking it, but then you're better off to be hands-on in your case. And as I said mm. to you, and I'll tell you to your face, one of the best sound technicians I ever worked with hands on just week to week making mistakes and mm. learning from them well young Darren Clark who, who was one of Vic Collins's pupils and he uh, he I suppose he used to come down we used to run the under 18s nights uh, through Vic Collins for his pupils okay. uh, and the different schools that he taught at and uh, Darren came along to um, play in a, in a band he was in still in funny enough and uh, he uh, he was interested to learn, and and he finished up helping me out, doing the door, and I put him up on the desk. He wanted to learn, and he went off to university, and he got himself professionally qualified. Mm. And but he said to me, he said he said I don't think I'd have done any of it if I hadn't have had the initiation in it, the hands on. Mm. Um, that I found what I was doing at university a breeze. Because I'd had the I'd had the hands on that most yeah. of the people that I was with yeah. didn't have. No, I agree. You got you got to live it. Yeah, you know you, you can know. You, you can't learn it. And he had about four it. years of like, helping me at the club before he went off to university. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's doing. If you want the job, do the job. Mm, that's and, right. And at that time, what were you out there four or five nights a week at Riga? Uh, we were doing sort of three or four nights a week. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously, was that what, what schedule was kind of what just a couple of you had the under 18s night, you had probably Friday, Saturdays, you had yeah, we had tribute bands, in. originals bands. Um, we were doing an open mic, we had a jazz night, we were doing it on a Wednesday. Uh, Dave Dirl and uh, he's uh, he's <laughs> always thought of Dave Dirl and his geriatric jazz men. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember it, <laughs> but um, yeah, the uh, and we used to used to do that on a Wednesday. We were doing uh, sort of like more of a studenty type um, young bands on a Thursday, tributes Friday and originals on the Saturday, and then doing possibly doing an open mic on the Sunday. And but, uh, but there was a few, quite a few of us to to, to run it, so we all didn't have to be there every night. You know, yeah. we could we could get nights out of it. You know, and this sort of thing. But, um, but within all of that, I mean, you're working with so many different instruments. So you're working oh, yeah, up so yeah. many different kits. Yeah, and, and so you're learning different... the, in, the ins and outs of those different instruments, you know, yeah. what makes them squeak and what makes them sound good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, on the fly as well, it's kind of, you know, you, you make the notes. I did want to ask you, actually, Steve, when you, when you when a band sets up at any of your venues, that you hmm. do you kind of have a, a rough idea of where you're going to put the faders or do you always well, no, start you put from scratch a, every night? You, sort of, you set the PA, so you've, got a, you've basically got a generic setting for your monitors okay. to your mic microphone so you know roughly where they're going to be. I've, funny enough, I've just done last weekend because the desk, my me, me digital desk was all over the place and uh, I needed to sort of just more or less do a master reset and start again and then on Monday I borrowed the Chortle Park rooms off of my mate Richard and it's the only place I had to go and set the gear up and we settled the gear up and sat and played with them with the mixer for a 
two or three hours and mm. leveled everything out, leveled the monitors out, you know, sort of white noise and uh, pink noise to, to just to, to set things up with a microphone in the middle of the room and that sort of thing. And it's and it, it's uh, it's all balanced up now. Now all I've got to do is just put the desk in and get a repair done on it. That's <laughs> less said about that, the better. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, though. I mean, and the thing as well, as I said, because, because obviously you don't play yourself... Mm. But yet you seem to, you're able to tap into, I mean, most of the bands, I mean, most of the time, I think when I was at Riga, I was playing there. But I was lucky enough many times to go and see other bands there. I saw Squeeze there. We'll get to mm. that later on. Mm. Um, you very kindly rung me and you said, I've got, I've got Squeeze coming down. I said, I have some of that. Um, <laughs> but you, so, many, so many bands in so many different styles. But you seem to be able to, as a sound technician, I suppose you have to be able to tap into what they are aiming for because you would have worked with original bands mm. where you don't know you haven't got a clue what they're playing or what they're going to play and in that moment you, f you think well if I was in this band what would I want to be hearing yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it kind of pretty it, much standard yeah, the drummer always wants to hear the guitars the guitars always want to hear no not necessarily or... you basically I just when I do a sound check I'll set the I'll, I'd, I'd normally start with the drums we get a, we get a generic sound a good reasonable sound across the drums uh, find out what the man may want in his monitors. Um, we'll set up the uh, set the bass guitar, lead guitar, rhythm guitar. Just work your way through the instruments. Okay. Um, I tend tend to try and work my way across the mixing desk. So you set your drums, your bass, your okay. guitars, and your other instruments going across, and then your vocals. And once you've got a general sort of setting across the front of the house, and then you can start sort of tweaking and playing with the monitors, just bringing individual. Mo individual instruments up in certain okay. areas of the monitoring and uh, and go from there really so let's give you a scenario five uh, five piece band seven piece kit two guitars bass and drums female vocalists male backing vocals di'd acoustic so you mic your drums first seven piece is everything mic'd or um it, you'd go depending on what they've got say for instance say you've got kick drum snare drum hi-hat okay three rack floor or two rack and floor yep. overhead, um, yeah. So you just you generally that's where I'd go with it with that size of uh, size of kit, and you'd put the I once I balanced them up, I'd basically subgroup them, so I can bring them if I needed to bring them up within the mix, I can bring them up as a group, okay. Rather, rather than uh, rather than bringing having to sit there with all the different. Well, you can, once you've got the general balance, you can actually bring the instrument up. Bring it up as an instrument rather than bringing up. Oh, as, okay. So it's all yeah, works so it's, as one. It, it groups, it groups down, bring it down to a subgroup, and it can. Uh, Brilliant. You I can... didn't know that. <laughs> See, I'm here to learn as well. And you mic the hi hat as well, because I've always felt that like a lot of the time that the hi hat's kind of picked up by the mic on the snare, but it, it mm, is an instrument in itself. It is an instrument in itself in some some. Do you cases, pan yeah. it differently to the snare? Is the snare mm, in the middle? No, not not really. The snare is pretty much central. Um, they. I keep most of this. The only, the only ones I'd really pan is if I had a like a double kick drum, like um, Who's Who used to yeah. do. And, yeah. uh, with, uh, with keep Mooney's busy double, with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with his double kick drum. They'd, um, you know, I've only ever, he's got two, or well, he's got three sets. We had three sets of uh, kit, and he had a big concert set, which was almost identical to the one that, did, yeah. that Mooney used to have. Yeah, attention to detail was... It was two sets of rack toms, um, and... Uh, the uh, snare drum, double kick drum, and that was the only kit that had a hi hat because Mooney predominantly never used a hi hat. No, he was always 
well, yeah. crash, crash riding yeah, and, and Christ knows what, just a load of noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I've always said that Townsend is, is the greatest rhythm guitarist because somebody had to keep the beat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Would you yeah. listen to it? You think, yeah, because you know somebody's yeah. got to play the one, two, three, fours. So you're micing your kit. You got. To, do you pan the toms across so they go across the? A little picture? bit, yeah. You'd put a little bit of pan across. The top, yeah, so yeah. they're going across, and yeah, then your bass guitar is di'd. Um, yeah, sometimes di'd, sometimes mic, depending on uh, depending on what you do. I generally, um, it's it's di'd um, with double bass, unless they've got a pretty expensive pickup built in it. I would tend to go into a DI box rather than going through their head yeah um, through the, through the base head because it, it, um, it generally just get a better you get a better you get more control more control as well with it, yeah. at the front yeah. as well and, then, and obviously the yeah. guitars are just mics mics on the uh, on the front, amps yeah. pretty yeah. much yeah. Um, female vocals as opposed to male vocals any, any EQ tips or anything you, do you Not tend really, to keep, things, just play keep everything at 12 o'clock yeah just play it by ear really it's just the sound at the time you know, you know you when listen, it's right you know when it's right yeah, yeah. yeah. and the DI yeah. acoustic just in the DI box and and going yeah. through in terms of yeah. effects not too much uh, not too much I put a little bit of effect on the drums maybe on the snare mm. um, the um, Normally just a, a bit of reverb or whatever, or whatever they want on their mm. vocals, possibly a bit on the acoustic. That's yeah. about it, really. Because you know, I, I was, I was never there. Keep was... it, keep it, keep it. You know, don't make it too fat. Just make keep it clean to a, as much as possible, and yeah. um, you know, just enhance it rather the rather than uh, trying to make yeah. too much out of it. You know. Yeah, I think a, a mistake from in my experience, having travelled across the country and. Is the amount of sound crew gets so much on the kit, so much on the kick drum, and mm. then you lose everything else. Yeah. It's you look at it, you think drums are louder. I mean, if you see a band in a pub, the drums are the loudest thing anyway. So once they've mic'd up and everything, there's no reason for, to make them any louder than they already are. No, that's right. You know, according to according to everything else. But I never asked you actually because if I played Rieger, obviously I was on the stage, mm. and if I watched a band there, I didn't get there until they went on. It, it, did did the um, sound change much uh, when the people came in? Was there was there big tweaks the you had to make? Men used to get in? swallowed up quite a bit. Oh, okay, is that because um, people stood in front of it? Yeah, basically because they stood in front of it. Yeah, yeah. That's why it was quite good when me and Steve were actually working together because I could go on the desk and he'd go down there or vice versa. So we'd get a different from being up where we were. Yeah, wasn't the necessarily the best place to be. Um, Ideally, we needed to be down there, but then we'd lose all the sound. So we, it was basically a case of transplanting yourself, either somebody down there, somebody up here, or or vice versa, or, or we'd go down, listen, and go back and yeah. and uh, you know, it's a lot easier nowadays with the digital desk because I can I can do it on my iPad. I can link my iPad to the desk, and I can stand in the middle of the room and sit there, and I can control the automated desk from the yeah. from the iPad. Because you're always so. moving about. You know, we'd look up and then you'd you'd you kind of stand in certain places. Yeah, to it'd see be what different it play, like. different areas. Yeah, seeing what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important yeah, because that's obviously the, that's the difference getting the sound dispersing around the room properly. When did the second stage at Riga? When did you decide to do that? This was actually stage? Steve, little Steve's, uh, Steve Garrick's um, idea. Um, that was he, the idea came through watching Jules Holland. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, of course. Watching yeah. later, of and course, that's yeah. where um, that's where he took the idea from, and. Um, he bought a little PA and we started doing sort of acoustic acts or different bands up that end and uh, main band up that end and uh, just saved a lot of swapping around in between. 
makes things a lot easier in terms of you don't oh, have yeah. to once you're set yeah. once your main band are set mm. as long as it's enough to... of you to do it you know yeah. it, it's, it's um, towards the end of the rigor if there's such it started getting a bit much to be honest for me on me more or less on my own because yeah. um, Steve had gone off to do pastures new and and all the rest of it and I, I if if it hadn't have sort of finished when it did I might have maybe another year 18 months and I'd have probably decided to you know um I need a break from this. Yeah, you know? well, you're so there a lot of nights a week. 23 years I've done it. So, so. You're living it, weren't you? Yeah. You're yeah. kind of there. Um, before Riga, were you at, You said you were at the Grand with Steve. Did, did you... I helped Steve helped in different the... venues, really. He used to do the Grand. Um, he was all... Little, uh, Steve Shepherd. Yeah. Um, he used to do um, different places, you know. He, was, he had all his bows, PA, which he had nicked twice. <laughs> <laughs> But um, the only man I know could have a, have a ten kilowatt PA rig nick twice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, uh, but um, yeah, I used to go out and help him and Jackie and uh, do all the, uh, you know, just set up again, learning how it all happens, mm. why it does it, you know, and uh, yeah, you're never too young to learn. You know? No, no that's, the, that's the thing <laughs> as well. As long as you keep your mind open and uh, and take in what's what's said, you know, it's um, some things I find a bit harder than others, you know, within. In some aspects of uh, what I do, but uh, generally I can I can take it in and, and learn from it. You know, well, a lot of it crosses over. Oh yeah. In as much as I mean, we, we were lucky enough. We had our aces. We played for you many times. Mm. When you actually listen to it, listen to us playing, you listen to it. You think, well, those guitars are a bit ACDC. You know, it's, you can kind of cross stuff over if you mm. know your music. Mm. It's not just enough to turn around and say, well, Oasis, they sound like this. They don't. Everything's been kind of done before, mm. and it's learning how that how that's done um, in these days of in-ear monitors and having pretty much no sound on the stage mm. yeah I was going to say um, in-ear monitoring uh, is not, not a, a great luck not not, I'm not a fan of in-ear monitoring no. I'm afraid I think the uh, you know we've had some bands down there where we had a um, a what was it a um, Dire Straits band down there and right. they had no backline. Everything yeah. was done through pods, yeah, and uh, so there was no backline amplification. Everything was coming through the PA uh, from pods, and they were on in-ear monitors. And I thought it just trying to make a realistic, mm. natural sound when it's. It, and I'm thinking this is just isn't. It doesn't feel right. No, you know. I mean, from, from because when you're doing the sound, I mean, my limited sort of knowledge of doing the sound is when you don't have a backline, you're completely in control of it. It's nice to have some control because you need, you don't want the the guitars overpowering everything because it, it doesn't matter no, how right. much you drop them out of the mix they're going to be yeah. too much. But I I don't think that music sounds as full when it's like no that. it doesn't it doesn't at all. I just don't think it works. No. You know I I think and also from from a musician's point of view, I don't want to play on a quiet stage. I could do that at the Dog and Duck mm. on a Friday night with an acoustic guitar. Yeah yeah. If I want to make it's nice to make a bit of racket now and again. Yeah. And you get the energy of it coming under your feet. And, that's it. and it makes yeah. you want to play, yeah. and, and you know that's where the adrenaline comes from. Mm. And you would have stood on stage many times with many bands. Just that's right. Well, like, like, monitors um, and stuff. Wayne out of um, he had uh, the front man out of Limehouse. Uh, he actually uses in ears, right? But he still insists on having a pair of pair of wedges, so he can still get the feel of the whole thing. You know, from where he cause he's, he plays on like a, he's got a carpet mat type thing he puts down. Okay. And he wants the he wants the monitor sat on the on the mat so he gets he's, and he still has 
although he's got the in-ears, he still mm. has that feel of the, the whole, of what the rest of the band are up to. He's yeah. true to himself, really, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, as much yeah. as... It, I, I just don't think you get the same performance. No, I, mean, I, don't, I, think the, I don't think the energy, you know, the, the whole vibe, if you like, mm. <laughs> um, you know, it's that... Yeah, in-ear monitors, in, in, as I said, in my experience and having researched them and a couple of companies who asked me, in their infancy, just said, would you like to use them and give us a review? And I said, no, I don't want to know because um, I just said, the amount of racket that we make, how loud has that got to be in my ears to hear it over the top of everything else, yeah, first yeah. of all? But obviously in these days, the, the in-ear monitors are not really used for anything other than click. They have click tracks and stuff. There's a load yeah, of extra right. stuff that comes through. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're a musician and you play properly, and mm. and you and you're there every Tuesday night rehearsing. You shouldn't you should be out of place, shouldn't you? No, that's right. I yeah, mean, at yeah. an international level, where the, where there's lightning cues and pyros and you mm. know a band like mm. Kiss, they've got in-ear monitors because they everything's kind of tempoed yeah, out right. and yeah, yeah. you know, I get that, but I don't get it in a pub. I don't understand it. No, only time we used to with Mon Mooney out of you know, Paul, the guy out of uh, Who's Who, drummer, and he. Um, he was, uh, he, the only time he'd use, he'd put a pair of headphones on, and purely when they were doing, uh, when they won't get fooled again. Yeah. And it, it's just to get the whole thing right he needed. He said, I just can't quite, I need that click track just to get. You've got that Mellotron thing yeah, going on all the way through it, haven't you? Did, 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 yeah, did, did, did. yeah, it's like, is it Mellotron? I'm not sure what it I is. I can't think what it is, yeah. Um, but you need to have that. And also, that famously, he had the headphones on when they played that. Um, That's right. Yeah. So it's like an image thing. So yeah. The image thing, thing the as much as it does uh, the audio yeah. as well, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's like a visual as well as something. Oh, he's put the headphones on for this one. Did he have them tape? Get they weren't gaffer tapes on. No, they weren't gaffer tapes on. No, no, no. He didn't go that far. <laughs> so one of your favorite favorite tribute band to work with, just as a or. Um, don't have to say us, Steve. I know you don't. I've well, you don't. had good times with lots of different bands with yourselves with Who's Who. Um, the early Who's Who um, was one I used to really enjoy. Um, yeah. The some of the ACDC trips we had, they, they again they really. Yeah, I caught one the other week. Livewire. Yeah. Podge Blacksmith, singer and. Uh, the, yeah, Livewire used to play at South End in the, in the early days. Yeah. And they 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 were very yeah, in the early days. I caught them in Milton Keynes uh, yeah. about a month, a couple yeah. of months ago, and yeah, they, always good for you to do simple. Simple bands, rock bands, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. You're a bit of an old rocker, do you? <laughs> well, in, in some ways, yeah. They're exceptionally good, though. You know, they're, they're bands without a doubt. You know, we've had uh, some really good, you know, some of the covers bands that we've had down the club, you know, like Against the Grain and mm. and, and bands like that. You know, the, 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 the thing about the about a good covers band is that, the, all right, they're only doing other people's material, but if they have a, the, the way of for me that a covers band will stand out is if they can take a song and put their own stamp on it yeah yeah okay. yeah they, and it uh like the business yeah they um they done a there's um a, a nine below zero track that they do and they just you can listen to nine below zero's version live or or album yeah and then you listen to the business they put their own stamp on that. Yeah, you know, it really, it's just got so much. And that's what they're known wallet. for, yeah. really, isn't it? They've yeah. got their own. I mean, a lot, yeah. of the, lot of the legends of that sort of uh, circuit: Hedgehog, yeah. Reservoir yeah. Dogs, yeah, um, loads of them. Um, they won't come to me now, of course. But uh, obviously, the business and stuff like that. These bands, 
you're thinking, I like going to see them. Expose. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, the, uh, another guy on, on, I want to interview is uh, Glenn Sissons, who was. Oh, Glenn, uh, yeah. You know, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. Know and Glenn, he's, yeah. Um, I think he's out with Lord Toffingham. Oh, Toffingham. You, Toff, yeah, he, he is Lord Toffingham with Lord the hat. Lord Toffingham, yeah. yeah. The Toff, but he's yeah. done lots of different things over the years and mm. he, he was in um, I think it was Panic and he was part of the Beagles and stuff like that yeah so he was in, uh, in Love Affair for a long time as well well yeah John Summerton's in Love Affair at the moment John Summerton from yep. uh, Flintlock yep. and he's in Love Affair at the moment as part of the, the 60s tour or something mm. and I can't think of his name I think it might be Paul in Love Affair but I used to know Paul from mm. something else mm. so it's, it's funny how the amount of people it, it's um, how it crosses over yeah it depends yeah. which which version of Love Affair you're looking at well, there's yeah, so no, many there's, different uh, there's so many know, it's like how many versions of the Roubettes are there at the moment you well know, there's lots just, yeah exactly there are lots the yeah. other thing as well about this about places like Riga and, and you know the, the obvious um, the twisting cultures there the Esplanade yeah, things yeah. like that is the amount of international stars mm. who play there with their side project yeah. Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, I know yeah. that Paul Young plays it. Is it Los Pacaminos? Yeah. Played? yeah, he's doing Chelmsford uh, next month, uh, in February. He's yeah. playing uh, uh, one out there, I believe. But it's yeah. not, you know, it's not advertised as Paul Young as, and, and he just turns up as part of the band. That's it, yeah. He doesn't want to go out. If he goes out as Paul Young, he's going out on his own. And yeah. With his own, as, if you like, Paul Young and the Royal Family, which is what it was uh, yeah. back in the day. And uh, But um, he... Uh, as Pacaminos, he is, he is a member of the band. Yeah, it's, it's what I've said to Jennifer, my daughter, is is he's still Paul Young. Mm. You know, there's still that, that person that did that. Yeah. But they like, I mean, Steve Harris at the moment, uh, Iron Maiden, is doing a British, uh, I think it's called British Lion Tour. He, he was at the Ball in Upminster last All week, right. just doing a warm-up show for the tour. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, but he's, he's still Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, yeah, but yeah. he's just got a side project. And obviously, um, we were lucky enough to work with Glenn Tilbrook when he was at Riga. Mm. Uh, Chris Difford, you've had there. Yeah. Um, I mean, come on, Steve, you've got hundreds. Well, it's, Legends who have been there just been, doing other uh, things. Yeah, it's or... been over the years. It's... Robin Trower's played there. Robin Trower played there when it was uh, uh, when they when we put um, the Paramounts back together for the... Uh, I remember that. The, uh, I remember the, you telling me the that. Paramounts, uh, the 40th, whatever it was. It was basically a, a, a tra- the Shades. It was all to do with the Shades because Robin's dad uh, used to own the Shades. Right. Which was the not the little coffee bar. Oh, okay. And the Paramounts used to play in the basement, and they set up the Shades Coffee Bar basement bar. Hmm. That's where they used to play. Um, and that's where the pictures, some that you might have seen on the internet and what have you, that got in the Echo and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, that was all. Uh, that was all done, um, and that's what sort of in, sort of started the ball rolling as to do a Shades reunion. Um, and it all it actually started from a guy at work, uh, my day job, who had some photographs, and he was actually in the photograph, standing outside the Shades. Okay. And there's, there was the Shades coffee bar, and there was the Sevens, which was the Rockers. They had the, they had the mods in there, and the Rockers in there. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, and they, uh, they used to say, Duppy's band, uh, Gary Brooker, Robin, um, Mickey Brownlee, and... Oh, the guy, he lives in Australia now, and I can't think of his name. It'll come to me in a minute. Yeah, all right. Um, he, was the, he was the original bass player, and we flew for the Shades reunion. While rain, uh, Dave Bronze was actually going to do the gig. And uh, I said, to, I phoned Dave up and said, look, this is what I'm prepared to do if somebody out the band will go in with me. And we I put stumped up some of the money, and we, we flew him over from Australia, the bass player. 
So we had the original lineup from 19, 1963 or 64, whenever it was, that used to play at the uh, at the Shades Coffee Bar. And, and made... important for you, because as a connoisseur of music and as a... As oh, it, a, was, it was superb. Just it a massive thing a, for you to yeah, be a it part was of. A, it was a real, a real buzz the whole night, yeah. And uh, the, the look on, sadly, no longer with us now, Mickey Brownlee, the look on his face, he, he was... It, it was done for him, really, because I knew he wasn't in the best of health, and mm. he, you know, we didn't know how long he was going. He, he lasted for about another ten years after that. But the uh, he, he was just uh, he was my reason, I think, for doing it, and uh, and it was just such a fabulous night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just a real, a real. I remember seeing you. I think it was a couple of nights before we, we mm. did a Thursday night or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And you said you had him coming down, and you said that he was flying over, and yeah, and you were yeah, yeah you were jumping about like a, a kid in a candy Chris. store, mate. Name was Chris. I met Chris. I will think of it in a minute. But, uh, <laughs> his name was Chris. But, uh, and that's one of your proudest moments. Oh, that was yeah, yeah. To, yeah, to, 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 to be pull involved. That, to pull that one off, yeah. It was. Uh, it was really. Uh, that really did. Um, that was really, really quite something. And squeeze, yeah, which was Dave. Oh, yeah, Dave yeah. Kitt um, sort of initiated that one. But uh, that was uh, that was a real buzz to get to get that working. I know they played there separately. I know Glenn had played there, and, and Chris, and Chris had played, had played there. there. Yeah, but and to then, actually get. Squeezed to actually playing a little little yeah. pub, you know, two hundred capacity club like the cricketers. You think, wow! You oh, know? Yeah, I remember it. I, was, I came to that show. Yeah, uh, I think you, you you emailed me or you texted me and said we have got squeeze here. Do you want a ticket? And I said I want two tickets. <laughs> that's my uh, yeah. That's it. My wife is a massive fan of squeeze. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and I said, and yeah. I, I don't want to have some of that. It was yeah. one I didn't want to miss as well because something like that. Um, yeah, as it's I said, off, really. yeah. you know, it's very rare you get. But then I mean, yeah. they have to warm up somewhere. They've got to they've got to run their show somewhere. And, and I noticed mm. on that night they had their monitor guys at the side of the stage and yep. lots yep. of other stuff going on because mm. they've got to mm. run their game. Yeah. Um, and Riga was, a, was an ideal kind of place for that. You, yeah. you probably had to, yeah. you know a few of those bands, and, and no doubt you had quite a few that played there and then went on to do other things. Or you, you suddenly saw them a couple of years later, and you said, "Oh, you, you know, we had them when they were yeah, before yeah. they were signed." Well, look at uh, one I one I always really really liked. Well, we could never really pull up a, a big audience for around this way. It was Amy Wodge? Yeah. Now Amy's gone on. Yeah. You know, yeah. To do, you know, she's writing. She wrote for. Um, his name always escapes me. <laughs> <laughs> the young lad. He's been all over the press everywhere. Ginger lad. Oh, Ed. Yeah, Ed Sheeran. Ed thank Sheeran. you. Thank you. Yeah, he wrote, right. well, he wrote his, co-wrote his biggest hit. And she's gone on to write for, she's just currently out in America writing for writing for Diana Ross. Okay. So. Amy now, she's been all over the world writing for different people. She's written, well, mm. that's just to name a few. Name a couple, you know, the, the list is endless. Yeah. And uh, she still lives in Wales, her husband, uh, kids. But, um, yeah, she, I was looking on her Facebook the other night. She's been, you see her pop up at uh, little award ceremonies. And, oh, you've got another one, have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Though, but, oh, was, she, was, she was awesome. They all start somewhere. And mm. they, all, they all sort of come through and go and do, yeah. you know, go and do stuff like that. Because you're, you're obviously like a, apart from being a fan of music, you're a, a kind of a, an encyclopedia on it. But that's not. That's just from living it, isn't it? It's not well, that is, but you don't yeah, sit there and learn yeah. it. It's you. No, you don't have to learn it, you know. So many conversations and um, just chats with other musicians and yeah, just over talk, the years. meeting other musicians and people you know I've met over the years. And they, uh, I can remember nights there was uh, um, just at the Travellers nights. I can remember that we used to have down there. We'd done up again helping out with the band with, with Black Hole, and what have you. And there was a particular night there was. 
um, Reg Webb, the late Reg Webb and, and the late Pete Jacobson. They're both blind pianists. Okay. They went to the same school together and um, absolutely stunning musicians. Like uh, You ask anybody of that genre or that era of mm. the live music scene um, about them and they'll say, wow, you know, <laughs> you know cause Reg was in a band called Fusion, which okay. were also in that band was Nick Kershaw. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. What happened and to Nick Kershaw? He, he, he did still, all right, didn't he? He's done all right. Yeah, he had a, had a little bit of a success. Yeah, <laughs> we we done particular nights down there. And there was one particular night we had um, a uh, we put the two keyboard players together. So we had Phil on the drums, Wendy out the front of the vocals, and instead of having the bass and guitar this side of the stage, we moved the bass and guitar across to the right hand side of the stage as you look at it, and we put the keyboards side facing one another sideways on the stage, and. Uh, We'd done. This. It was just. It was. A, they were a musicians' band, if you know what I mean. They were. Yeah. They were the musicians' preferred band to go and see because <laughs> the, the, it was stunning. Yeah, most yeah. of them. It was just absolutely stunning. And and the uh, it come up to the second going into the second set. And uh, I remember Dave Bronze walking the two guys up to the stage, and very rarely at that time in his career would Dave get on the microphone but he, he and he said oh it's not very often we get two keyboard players of this caliber together he says we're gonna we're gonna give sort of 15 20 minutes to himself where they can sit here and improvise and I'm not kidding you could have heard a pin drop in that place it was absolutely brilliant, brilliant amazing music, yeah, and it's just that that totally off the cuff no rehearsal no nothing and it was just phenomenal yeah, you know just just and they went it. into this track up uh, at uh, towards the end of their set at a million miles an hour the pair of them and everybody's like how are they going to get out of that they're never going to be out and it just bringing the whole and it whoa yeah. <laughs> you know it was just phenomenal just born in them just, yeah just born into people them people like that know. come from somewhere else oh they, it's just, I mean, you know, just incredible because that because uh, the other thing as well when you when you were talking about the fact that you, you're dealing with great musicians, solid musicians, stuff like mm, that, mm. is that the good bands kind of mix themselves. It's like the best, we've always said about this, that the best sound crew are kind of stood watching the show and occasionally just, you know, the job's yeah. done. Yeah. Because the music is all done up there. Obviously, yeah. if they can't play, you yeah. can't make them sound any better. You can, That's you, it. You, you, know, could, it's, you can put loads of reverb on a dodgy vocal, but you can't do a lot more than that. Yeah, it's, yeah trying to make a silk purse out of a sound here. <laughs> as they say, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty difficult to do.